0: Well, church, if you have your copy of God's Word, would you please turn with me this morning to Ezra chapter 7. We'll be looking at the remainder of Ezra chapter 7. Before our family left for some time away, we looked at the first 10 verses. We'll start with verse 11 this morning and conclude the chapter. Remember as I read this morning that these are the words of the Lord. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or the priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem, may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem." with all the silver and the gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem." Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it fails to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king... Make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, up to a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil and salt, without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God Of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as is know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And thus far the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask God's blessing this morning. Father, we come to you, people who are needing, people who need to be fed from your word. All of us. And so I pray now that your spirit would work among us to feed us from this word. Let it be your word that speaks to these people's hearts, causing change in them and causing them to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, church, it's good to be back with you again this morning. Our family enjoyed our time away on vacation. We were able to make some special memories with my brother and his family. We were blessed to see some really fascinating historical monuments where we went. And the weather was great, so we were also able to spend plenty of time at the beach. One of the things that stuck out to me about our time away In Florida was the last few minutes that we had together with the Josh Jones family before we left right before we loaded up and got in the van for our journey back home we went to the beach to praise God for all the good things that he had done for us on the trip all the things that we could think of while I knew there were many I could only remember a handful of the more significant things This probably won't surprise you, but our children um, have much better memories um, than we do. They would say things like, thank you, God, for boogie boarding. Thank you for drip castles. Thank you for craft time. Thank you for movie night. Thank you for snacks. Thank you for clean undergarments, so on and so forth. Something to be thankful for. If I hadn't transitioned that time to, okay, let's sing a song together and let's pray, the kids probably would have gone on for another hour or two. And it's because they have eyes to see so many of the good deeds of the Lord. I loved that we were in Matthew 18 this morning talking about the faith of a child and that being something that is so precious in God's I see it on display when we ask our kids to do these thanksgiving remembrances where we'll try and list as many thanksgivings as we can. And the fact of the matter is, beloved, that God is always pouring out His blessings on His people. Always. All the time. Whether we feel like it or not, or whether we can even believe it or not, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Amen. Amen. I'd guess the number of Christians today who walk around actually living like that little quip is true is probably the minority of Christians. It's much easier to catechize your thoughts with those like the psalmist who said, Troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I'm unable to see. They're more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Frankly, there are many at Christ the King right now in seasons of acute and even prolonged difficulty. My prayer this week has been that this morning's text will lead you to the place that Ezra was led, to Thanksgiving. In order to get there, we're going to have to, with Ezra... Recount, looking at the text, all of the glorious deeds of the Lord to his people that we can find. Count as many blessings, naming them one by one. It may seem like an elementary exercise, but it will help you, like the elementary child leaving the beach, learn to see what you can't see unless, as Jesus taught us, you become like a child. Well, look with me now at verse 11 of chapter 7. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. You can't see it here in the English text, but verse 11 is written in Hebrew, and the letter that follows is in Aramaic. We've talked about this a little bit through Ezra, how he bounces back and forth between these primary source documents, this one given to establish his work in Jerusalem. This is why I'm leaving. Anyone who wants to go with me, I have the king's decree in my hand. I've got a primary source document here. The word for letter in the ESV in verse 11 is a more formal term than a personal correspondence. It's more like a diplomatic note. The NASB, for those of you who have New American Standard or the Legacy, chooses the word decree. And this decree is actually two separate decrees. You may have heard that as we read through the passage. It harkens back to why Ezra referred to Artaxerxes back in chapter 6, verse 14, where he said, They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes. King of Persia. This decree helping to finish and establish the work of temple worship, the resuming of religious practice in Jerusalem. So both of the returns of the exiles at this point, Zerubbabel's return and now Ezra's return, were initiated and accomplished by decrees of foreign kings and those kings' hearts were moved by God to accomplish whatsoever he willed. Well, count then this first and perhaps easily overlooked blessing of God. What you are about to hear in the coming verses comes from the mouth of a pagan king. A king who calls himself the king of kings. That might sound like normal jargon for kings in the Middle East during those times. Many scholars say that it was. Sounds like a pretty brazen Name for yourself, considering that there is one man alone who reserves the title of king of kings. This is also a king who, whose impetus for this series of decrees is to appease one more god, lowercase g in his mind, so that his wrath wouldn't be against the realm of the king and his sons. We read that a moment ago in verse 23. A king, church, should have... A king who This is a king who should have known better. Consider Artaxerxes was the son of Xerxes whose second wife was Queen Esther. Perhaps this is a son or a stepson. We're not sure. We don't have that historical information. But certainly there was some influence from a matriarch at that time. Consider for a minute that God is directing this king's heart. This unbelieving king's heart, as the proverb says, like a stream of water, turning it wherever he wills. Now, I know that some of your troubles today, beloved, are the result of the current governmental administration, both locally and nationally. Mismanagement, as a title, would be a compliment bordering on flattery. And I mean that. I've got a question for you, though. Is God currently working something in the political realm today that will directly affect you for your good? Just like he did in Ezra's day. For your deliverance. For our advantage to build the church and his kingdom here in Anderson County. Is he doing that? In short, I'm asking the question, is his arm too short ...to do a work like this in our days today? Is it? You might say he did stuff like that back in Bible times... ...but our politicians are way too far gone. Back in 2006, I was hired on as a full-time staff member... ...with Hope Resource Center in Knoxville... They hired me to be a full-time abstinence education teacher in the public schools. I was privileged during that time to travel at one point to 13 surrounding counties around Knoxville, educating teenagers on essentially God's design for their bodies and to give a charge towards sexual purity. And the public school kids loved it. I had kids asking me all the time after class, how did you get this job? And then in the evenings they would have me come to the schools and I would have parents come in and I'd sometimes do a parents' class. And I'd teach the same material to the parents. The parents would look to me after it was over. They would ask the same question but with a little different inflection. How did you get this job? Well, teaching abstinence was a blessing to me and my family For a little over three years providing an income for a man who at that time had pretty few marketable skills and here's why I tell that story the funding for the grant that opened up that job for me was signed into law back in 1996 by then president you guessed it Bill Clinton needless to say The arm of the Lord is not gone limp. Barack Obama did strip that funding away as soon as he took office in 2009. But one of my co-teachers at the Hope Resource Center ran a lawn care business. He showed me the ropes and through him I also found out about basswood, which God used to bring our family here today to plant this church. Why, beloved, are we so convinced that God can't do for us what he did for Ezra, a political miracle? Why are we so convinced that he can't lead even corrupt politicians who refuse to repent their whole lives? They die as reprobates and they go to hell. But why can God not use them today to bless the church of Jesus Christ? I think we're convinced of that because of our unbelief. We don't believe that God is powerful enough to do again what he's already done. Our unbelief also leads us to ignore the New Testament command that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, first name he mentions, for kings and all who are in high positions. When's the last time you said a prayer for the president? When's the last time you prayed for him? When's the last time you asked God to do something like he did for Ezra through our president and this current administration? It's unbelief that leads us to not pray. By the way, Paul wrote that to Titus in the glory days of the Roman Empire. He said, I want you to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He said that in the glory days of the Roman Empire. Yeah, pray for those men that you'll live a peaceful and godly life. If you want to know how far gone that government was, you should pick up a free PDF online of Fox's Book of Martyrs and start reading it to your kids. Actually, I would recommend that. I would recommend you read as much as you're comfortable reading of Fox's Book of Martyrs to your children. I think it will bless them to see what Christians have gone through And how even in those days, they had an apostle commanding directly to them, Hey, pray for those kings. We want to live a peaceful and godly life. Pray for them that God will do something through them. That unbelief and that lack of prayer, beloved, almost always leads to enmity and hatred in our hearts. Like Jonah, we know deep down that we serve a God who is able to do something mighty but we don't want to pray for them because we kind of want them to get what's coming. Beloved, we need to repent. We need to repent of our unbelief and our lack of prayer for our politicians and our enmity towards them. Have you considered that you were at one time foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another until the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared in Christ. What's interesting about this passage in Titus that I've just talked about briefly here is it comes right after Paul commands submission to authorities who are themselves foolish, disobedient, and led astray. God brought your deliverance from His unbearable wrath through the lynch mob trial and execution of His own Son. And He is a God with a desire to see that story of your deliverance retold in deliverances for His chosen throughout history again and again and again. I've mentioned, beloved, how much I've been benefiting from Eugene Peterson's long obedience in the same direction. In regards to our growth in grace in Christian discipleship, Struggling to see how we can make it through trials in life. Even trials that are caused by corrupt politicians. He counsels. Christian discipleship is a process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness. And less and less attention to our own. Finding the meaning of our lives. Not by probing our moods and our motives and our morals but by believing in God's will and purposes in the world. making Listen to this. It's making a map of the faithfulness of God, not charting the rise and fall of your own enthusiasms. Why are our prayers motivated and directed by our rising and falling enthusiasms rather than the rock-solid truth of the Word of God? If you take anything away from this message today, I hope that it will be a desire to look fervently for the faithfulness of God in your life right now. You might go home today, fathers, and around the dinner table, ask your kids how they see God helping your family right now. Whenever I do this, I'm always surprised at how much I'm missing. Well, verse 12 It's the formal introduction of the idolatrous king's set of decrees. The first of which is a proclamation of emancipation for any who would volunteer for the journey. We'll see next week, when we get to chapter 8, that not many volunteer to go. The second set of returnees were charged with Ezra to help get things in Jerusalem straightened out. Count then these blessings of God to his people. They were to inquire about the city, measuring its health according to the word of God, presumably the Pentateuch that Ezra had in his hand. It was a blessing to be able to go about the city freely, not worrying about what other officials in that area might say to them. What are you doing here? Why are you at the temple? We have a decree. This is a blessing from God. They were to deliver a large quantity of monetary resources from the king and his officials, from the pagan king and his officials with additional voluntary donations from elsewhere in the empire. In verse 17, they were to use some of this money to buy offerings that were to be made to Yahweh God on behalf of the people and the king and his family. In verse 18, an allowance was made for them to use the rest of the money how they saw fit according to God's will. In verse 19, additional vessels... Are sent along to help with the work done, those additionally to those that were brought back with the first set of returnees. And in verse 20, the king permits his own treasury to be used to cover any overhead costs that might come up along the way. One thing we can say about the blessings of God towards Ezra to resume the work in Jerusalem is the people weren't going to be hurting for money, that wasn't going to be difficult. There's nothing wrong, by the way, in rejoicing in the Lord for how He blesses us financially or otherwise in order to build His kingdom here in Anderson County. If God is blessing you financially, you should praise Him and sing His praise for that. There is nothing wrong with that. Well, but money's all... No, 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 no. Money is not an evil thing. The way our corrupt heart uses money Often is an evil thing. But money is not an evil thing. And money can be used mightily for the glory of God as it will be in Ezra's day. Count also this next blessing of the Lord. Ezra received exactly what he asked for. Now you say, what do you mean what he asked for? That wasn't in the text that we read this morning. I'll ask the question this way. How did the king know that all these things would be needed for the cultus or the religious practice of Israel? Let your eyes glance back up in your Bible to verse 6. Verse 6 of chapter 7. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was upon him. What a thing for God to give him all that he asked for. Do you believe that God will give you everything that you ask for? Every week before we come to prayer, my daughter Cameron always prays that God would answer every prayer we pray. Why wouldn't he? Additionally, Imagine the tremendous courage that it would have taken to request all of these different things, the value of each of these things. We get a hint of how difficult it may have been if we fast forward to Nehemiah's account of a similar situation. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we read In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, this is approximately 13 years after Ezra's made his request. When wine was before the king, I took up the wine and gave it to him. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city and place of my father's graves lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you asking? Neither of these men, Ezra or Nehemiah, had any guarantees that the request that they made would be answered. But they quit like men, to use the old King James, and got the gumption to ask. It would do us Calvinists some good to remember that we do serve a sovereign God who is in absolute control of everything in this universe, and that same God uses means to accomplish His ends. How were you saved? By grace alone? Through faith alone? In Jesus Christ alone? And Ephesians 2 reveals that both the grace of God and the faith that you needed to be saved were gifts from God so that no man can boast. And yet, the Lord Jesus begins His earthly ministry saying, Repent and believe the gospel. That's right. You do it. Jesus didn't say, Wait around until He gets to it. You repent. You put your faith in Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus, it will be God willing and working in you for His good pleasure... But lost people who have grown up in the church, especially Reformed churches, often use God's sovereignty as a kind of shield. It's an excuse not to come to God. They say things like, well, I know He's the one who asked to save me, so I'm not currently saved because He isn't saving me. I've heard people say things like that. You are blaming God for something that you are commanded to do. I call on you today, unbelieving man, woman, child, to repent and believe right now in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. And let me speak to you Christians today. Beloved, how many deliverances of God are we leaving on the table because we just don't ask? And I don't necessarily mean ask to God. Certainly we must pray and present our requests to God. We prayed for a year for a building for our church. And yes, it was God who graciously answered our request. But we had to look for the answer. And we had to call the people who own the building. And we had to ask. Are you sick of the thought of sodomite grooming children's books in our local library? Have you gone in to ask if they would stop? Or even just send an email to the director with a formal complaint? Are you afraid to do something about it? Have you challenged yourself to at least ask John 2 or Wendell Schrock to go with you? To show you, I want to do evangelism better. I want to be a part of, of the light of Christ in our community. Show me how. At this point, Anderson County is not a sanctuary county for the unborn. Have we been going downtown during the meetings to let our commissioners know that they are still tacitly allowing abortion because we have not outlawed it in Clinton or in Anderson County? What about the host of other issues that are discussed every month that are passed by the minority of commissioners because those in the majority don't believe that they have support because no one's ever came and asked them to make it stop? Is there brokenness in your home or family that needs some serious repentance and forgiveness so that fellowship can once again be restored. Are you too afraid to ask? Are you too afraid to ask because you don't think that it will be effective? How many years have you been missing the blessing of God's work in this particular relationship that you're thinking of right now because you refuse to ask? I'd like to encourage you to take Ezra's example this week. If you were burdened about something that your family or this church or our city is facing would you commit to go ask whomever is responsible for help or change or whatever from philippians 2 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because god uses means for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure a favorite song of ours from conference years ago Sing, men of Christ, sing loud. Our banner is the Lord. First in, last out, and laughing loud, we work for our reward. And there is nothing wrong, you can ask the Apostle Paul, there is nothing wrong with working for a heavenly reward. Well, let's continue on with our text this morning. The second decree in this letter, you'll see, begins in verse 21. The second decree involves additional resources to be provided from those precincts beyond the river. He means the Euphrates River. Ezra is to, if you'll allow me, name and claim whatever is needed for re-energizing and maintaining the worship of Yahweh, which is insufficient at this time, though we aren't told that at this point in the text. Count now some additional blessings. More silver is offered, approximately three and a half tons of it. As well as wheat, about 350 bushels of it. For those of you who are farmers, you probably can visualize a bushel. I can't. Oil, 607 gallons of oil he was to take. And as much salt as is needed. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Because he asked, what's interesting? Notice this blessing in verse 22 the addition of wine is requested. There's only one prescription in the Old Testament, Pentateuch, for wine being used in worship. And it's in Exodus 29.40, where wine is poured out before the altar once it's being purified. But in Hosea 9.4, God told the soon-to-be exiles at that time, that they would not pour out drink offerings of wine to him anymore. And Ezra went to the king, and he asked for wine. He received all that he asked for, the wine to pour out to God as a sign that the people of God were no longer under his judgment. What a thing. What a thing. What's more important to you, beloved? The security that a list of material blessings can bring? Or a sign of the gracious permission to again boldly approach the throne of God? Are you wanting deliverance from your current life trouble while ignoring that God is supplying you with the means to worship Him for your salvation in Christ right now? If I just had this thing, I could worship God. If I just had this thing, I could really open up. If I just had this thing, I would sing with my children or lead family worship. But this job thing or this health thing... And yet God is pouring out to you in all around your life blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing as a means for you to worship him. But you can't see it because it's not what you want. King Artaxerxes in verse 24 blesses everyone who serves in the temple by classifying them essentially as a Persian 501c3 tax-exempt employee. They don't have to pay any taxes. That's likely an incentive to get people to go with Ezra. Again, like I mentioned next week, not many will go with him. If all of that were not enough, in verses 25 and 26, Ezra is given permission to establish a new league of magistrates, still loyal to the king, that will judge the people according to the law of God. Loyal to the king, but judging according to the law of God. He even requires them to teach those who don't know the law so that they can judge rightly. Imagine having the charge and authority to come into a county police force to examine the officers there, to teach them God's word so that they can judge rightly, to bring in more that already love God's word to be a part of the force, and even to relieve of duty those that, won't submit. I wonder if there's a way to do this. If a man of God could be welcomed by a police chief into a station to host a voluntary Bible study for those who wish to come and learn what their God-ordained duty of punishing the evil and praising the good really looks like. Maybe somebody just needs to ask. Citizens that do not obey The text continues, Ezra's magistrates are commanded to judge and discipline to the fullest extent of the law up to capital punishment. Well, this brings us to the end of the long list of blessings that Ezra will take back to and receive in Jerusalem. As I prepared for the message this week, I thought prosperity teachers would have a field day with this text. You can have some silver and you can have some silver and you can have some silver. It's disgusting. It probably goes without saying, beloved, that the answer to your current problems isn't a big-time financial blessing. Wealth gained hastily or dishonestly will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. It should also go without saying that, as I mentioned earlier, it's not wrong for you to pray for blessings from God Even financial blessing. All Ezra got here was from God for establishing the worship of his church. God granted him all that he asked for. What else are you going to use your money for? To build the kingdom of God in every way. Even by building healthy Christian families. If we are seeking Christ above all, conforming our lives to his word, he promised to hear our every prayer and request. Jesus says in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The word of God conforming the mind of the man of God to the statutes of God so that he prays the will of God. That's the way that it works. And how do we get everything that we ask for? Through this. Which, by the way, leads me to another hidden gem in this text. One that is also easily overlooked. It is the one means that God used to bless Ezra and his people in this magnificent way. It is the abundant fruitfulness of the Word of God. I mentioned at the outset of our study that God's word is one of the main themes in Ezra and Nehemiah, and it is on full display in Ezra chapter 7. Listen to the many references of the word of God throughout this chapter. In verse 6, skilled in the law of Moses, which Yahweh, the God of Israel, had given. In verse 10, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. In verse 11. An expert in matters of the Lord's commands and statutes for Israel. In verse 12. Ezra, an expert in the law of the God of heaven. In verse 14. According to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Verse 21. A scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Verse 25. That was verse 24. Verse 25, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hands. Verse 25 again, who knows the laws of your God. Finally, verse 26, anyone who does not keep the law of your God, so on and so forth. Here's the thing, beloved. In our Western materialistic context, where you are considered valuable only based on what you own, We are to read passages like this and not zone in on just the material blessings. The ones that if we had, it it would would make life easier. Then our problems would vanish. Poof, gone. Ezra's got all of this money to take back Jerusalem with him and he has nobody that wants to go help him. His problems aren't going anywhere, y'all. This poor guy in two chapters is going to be pulling out his beard hair. He's so sad. But none of that matters because Ezra is walking around with a copy of the word of God in his very hands. He is committed to know the word, to live the word, and to teach the word to God's people. Honestly, honestly, where did God's favor come from? You see this over and over again in these chapters. The favor of my God was on me. God's favor was on him over and over and over again. Where did it come from? It came from God who was pleased with his child's love for him in the word. It came from that man, Ezra, devoting himself to the study of it, pouring over it and committing it to memory and endeavoring to make it known to God's people. It came from his willingness to address the king of Persia with it, to educate him on what was needed for the worship of God Almighty, and to make sufficient provisions for the people struggling back in Jerusalem. Notice how far the king's praise of the word of God goes. Did you pick this up? In verse 14, Artaxerxes, in his own decree... Written at his own dictation, he mentions the law of God that Ezra carries. But then in verse 25, he calls it the wisdom of your God. Two things I want you to consider about the word of God, beloved. The law of God, that is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That law is still to this day the wisdom of God. Without getting into a conversation about to what extent the law of Moses is still binding on Christians, this much is clear. The first five books of the Bible contain the wisdom of the Almighty. No, they don't contain all the wisdom that He wanted us to have, but they've got a bunch of it. How many heresies start in Genesis? How much gospel did Paul preach from Exodus or Leviticus? How many skinny jean wearing evangelic pastors are afraid to preach from it because it's so outdated? Hear what Moses said in Deuteronomy 4, summarizing all of the teaching of the Pentateuch. He said, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded you, or as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who, when they hear of these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You're seeing the fulfillment of that in the way Artaxerxes talks about the word of God that Ezra delivered to him. The second thing that I want you to consider is this. How is it that a pagan king can hear from the man of God, the wisdom of God, in the law of God, and send blessings to the people of God while pastors in America today are afraid to preach the whole counsel of God because they might have to talk about gender or slavery or women's roles? And they aren't convinced that what God had to say back then was Wisdom. I'd wager that King Artaxerxes could lead a Bible study on the Pentateuch that could match most modern day pastors. O oh, saints of Christ the King, consider the blessing of the Word of God. It is the most fruitful thing in the universe. After all, it did create the universe. Listen to the promise of Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, the bounty, the fruitfulness, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Ezra believed that. He was made a fruitful man, and as a result, God entrusted him with favor and blessing. And what did he do? He just turned it right back around and poured it all into the house of God. Now, it's easy to sit there and listen to me take shots at squishy pastors who don't take seriously the Word of God. And yes, our country shows it. But how many of you here today are not taking seriously the Word of God in your own home, in your own life? With a regular time each day in pursuit of Christ through the reading of His Word. With a regular time each day with your family, seeking Christ together, confessing sins to one another and praying to Him for each other, counting your blessings together. How many deliverances of God have you missed because you haven't committed yourself To being transformed by the renewal of your mind through the word of God. I hate prosperity teaching. The kind that says God created the world full of stuff. And our main goal as humans is to get as much of it as we can. Hear this though, beloved. God himself, in the passage I just quoted from Isaiah, declared for all time that his word cannot help but create blessing. That's what it does. I don't merely mean material, though it did in the lives of Ezra and Jabez and David and Abraham and in the apostles. It is full of power to bless. Perhaps there is a specific lack of attention to the Word of God in your life right now. Perhaps you're thinking of it at this moment. Would you repent and turn again to pursue Jesus in His Word? I want to conclude... With Ezra's doxology, all of these blessings lead him to the praise of God. In verse 27, Ezra picks back up in the Hebrew script again. He also begins writing in the first person, which is strange for Ezra. Most of his book is not written from his own perspective, but from this verse through chapter 9, he will be writing from the first person. He's gone over the means that God uses to bless. Now he praises out loud the source of those means. He credits God with the stirring of the king's heart to build and beautify the house of God. He credits God with the favor that he had in front of the king and his officials to ask for these things. He's enabled with courage from God to gather men for the journey. Pastor Jim Hamilton summarizes this way. Ezra didn't strategize to accomplish his goals through espionage, cunning, armed revolt, or peaceful protest. He set his heart to study, do, and teach Torah. God gave him the wisdom that comes from the word, and Ezra made requests that the king granted. Ezra knows who has done the work, and he blesses Yahweh because of all that Yahweh had accomplished. Now, we providentially landed on this text this Sunday, just a few days after Thanksgiving. I love it when God does stuff like that. Another blessing. Thanksgiving is a holiday that I deeply love, but one that reminds me year after year how seldom I stop and give thanks to God for all the things that He has done for me. Everything that I can think of. You might think of your Thanksgivings in the coming days, in different categories. Think of blessing and praising God in categories. Think of a general thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, for this church, for each of these covenant members and their families, for the fervency with which they seek you, for how mature they are, and how they sharpen me to be conformed with them into your image. Thank you that they are not afraid to speak to my sin and that they hate it with me, just like you do. You can pray a specific thanksgiving. Thank you, Father, for working in the U.S. government in 1996 when I was in middle school to pass a grant that created a job for me to teach in 2006, 10 years later. Thank you for using a man as flawed as Bill Clinton to sign it into law. You used that event to lead me and my family to where we are today. You are worthy to be praised. You can have an in-the-moment Thanksgiving. I encourage you all, there are certain men and women who will do this. In the moment where something happens, just spontaneously, they'll vocalize, Thank you, God, for what you just did. Imagine pulling a car over after a near miss in the rain one night. Thank you, God, for protecting me and my children from an accident. Thank you that our van was able to stop safely when that car pulled out in front of us. Thank you for the new ish tires that kept us from hydroplaning. You can give him thanksgiving for your afflictions too. Thank you, Lord, for the afflictions that you're bringing on my physical body, for how they so perfectly reveal to me the areas of my heart where I am still trying to hide sin. Thank you for putting me in a position where I can't be tempted to love money. Thank you for allowing damage to something that I have been holding on to too deeply. So on and so forth. Certainly, we should regularly be giving thanks with the best words that we can conjure up for our salvation in Christ. Jesus, thank you for coming to me in my lostness and saving me from my sin. Thank you for the means by which you did it. You gave me a mom who read the Bible to me frequently and prayed for me every day of my childhood. For revealing to me through Bible studies in a church youth group how far short I fell from your righteous standard. Thank you, Father, that the word went home in my heart one Wednesday night through some song lyrics about the gospel. And I turned by your power in revulsion of that sin, and looked upon my bleeding surety, your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank God. There's more categories than these. Perhaps at lunch you could sit and talk with others about other kinds of thanksgivings, categories of praise that you can give to the Lord. Yes, I know, all of this may seem rather basic, rather fundamental for the Christian life, but it is massively important, beloved. Remember, Ezra is helping us to see how we can build Christendom here in Anderson County. And many of us don't have a background in regular rhythms of these most basic things. Thanking God out loud in front of people. Regular rhythms in the Bible. The courage to go ask others. The courage to pray bold prayers. Believing that because of the study of the Word of God, as best as I can... God is hearing my prayers because He's conforming my mind towards His holy will. Psalm 50 records a brief rebuke from the Lord to His people. Not that they weren't offering Him sacrifices, but they weren't offering Him thanksgiving. If I were hungry, the Lord says, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. It begins with thanksgiving. Beloved, go from here today and verbalize your praise to God. What does he need to be praised for right now in your life, in your afflictions, your victories, generally speaking, specifically, or from your past that you have yet to publicly thank Him for. This is going to exercise some serious spiritual muscles in many of us. If you're having trouble seeing what God needs to be thanked for, I recommend you might start by asking a child because they're pretty good at this. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the grace that is given us in manifold ways in Christ Jesus our Lord. We love you for your word and for the power of prayer and for your care for us in the midst of our afflictions. Thank you for your love. We pray blessings on the rest of this day in our activities and for health for our families and our church. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.